Last week, Deshaun continued on in our series with a word on how a savior is coming. And today, we are gonna be discussing how restoration is on the way, how restoration is coming for each and every one of us and for this world as a whole. And so to start off today, I wanna ask a question and I do need you to respond. So, question. Who in this room has ever taught children? If you have ever taught children, whether as an after-school volunteer, maybe you are a teacher, maybe you just have a real big family. If you have ever taught children, raise your hand. All right, can we applaud for these people? (laughs) Because if you teach children, then you know what it's like to have a longing for restoration. I also have taught children. Um, I, so for 20 years, for 20 years of my life, for a couple decades, I was in dance. I did every style of dance imaginable. It was my whole life. I did it professionally um, when I was in college. I danced professionally for an organization up in Cleveland. And <laughs> moving on. And, uh, and so when I, when I moved back to Canton, um, I heard of this organization called Tikva. A lot of you guys know Tikva. And, <laughs> and so Tikva was like, hey, would you be our dance teacher? And I'm like, I've been in dance for 20 years. How hard can that be? I'll teach some kids. It was, it was really hard. It was really, really hard. And so I would go in class and I would have like this idea of like, this is what we're going to accomplish today. This is what we're going to do. Here's our plan. We're going to get to like this far in learning a routine because then at the end of the year, they're going to have this this show and it's going to be great and this is going to be amazing. And then what would happen is I would show up and none of that, none of that would happen. And I would watch the clock and I'm like, please God, get me through this hour. (laughs) I'm not great. I am not great at teaching kids. Literally one time I showed up and we just played, we played on the Wii. We play, has anybody ever played Just Dance? We played Just Dance. And I've heard that you're supposed to let kids win, right? Like, you as an adult should be more mature. You should, like, build their confidence and let them win. I didn't let them win. <laughs> they started talking so much crap. And I'm like, you know what? It's on. <laughs> and I destroyed them. <laughs> and then nobody wanted to play anymore. And I sat back and I'm like, I don't think I should teach kids. I don't think I should do this. I don't think I'm cut out for this. So then we started, so then we started Third Street. God led us on this journey. And, um, and I don't know if you know this, but like, there's like this unspoken expectation of pastor's wives that you're either going to lead worship or you're going to lead kids. And I should do neither of those things <laughs> ever. But we needed kids volunteers. And so I'm like, that's fine. That's fine. I'll volunteer kids. I'm going to do this. Um, we'll figure it out. Well, Last week, this literally was last week, I had one job, and my only job was to assist Daryl. I wasn't even supposed to teach the lesson. I was just supposed to hand out the craft and just just do something helpful with myself. And so Daryl is doing this great job, and he's teaching this lesson, and he's explaining what should happen, and Maquita makes these, like, phenomenal lesson plans like they have times on them of like do this for five minutes you just need to do this for five minutes and so Daryl's explaining things and and I'm and I'm handing things out and I'm trying to help these kids make these angels and like I also can't tie the knots and so like so it's just it was rough but 
I get to this one table and I got my head down and I'm so focused and I'm like, Rachel, just be helpful. And so I'm like trying to help out. And one of the kids at the table goes, hey, what's for snack today? And I look at the time and I'm like, oh man, I don't think we're going to have time for snack today. <laughs> and right as I finished that sentence, he took, he took the craft and he chucked it and he goes, he goes, flag on the play, no snacks. And do you know what I realized? He had taken what we were making, which was supposed to be an angel, and my only job was to supervise this and help him make an angel. And he colored it yellow and made it a penalty flag, and then he threw a penalty flag on me because I didn't have snacks. And you know what I did? I did nothing. I looked at it, I was like, that was really creative. You can keep your penalty flag. Here's another one, just make this one an angel. Because I was so impressed at his creativity. Guys, I am not great at teaching kids. I'm really, really not good at it. But listen, McQuita does this thing for all of our classes where she has this amazing plan. And if you just look at it and give it your best effort, even if you end up with a laugh, like you gave it your best, you said yes. And listen, then what she does at the end, she sends you a text. And she sends you a text. And when you see McQuita's name on your phone, there's so much hope. There's so much hope and there's so much joy and you're just like, oh, restoration is coming. They're going to be restored to their families. I no longer have to figure out how to entertain. Hope is on the way. Like you feel that. You don't even need to open the text because you know it says communion has started. Bring them back. And I'm like, oh, yes. We made it. Imagine if we read the text, if we read our Bible with the same amount of instruction. If we looked at the holy word and said, oh, restoration is coming, hope is coming. Imagine if we looked at our Bibles with the same amount of hope that we wait for a text from someone we are waiting to hear from. Restoration is coming. If I can have that much hope, well, let me just love these kids and hang out with them. And if I, if I screw up the whole lesson, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. But restoration is coming. We need to wait on God the way that we wait on a text. Amen. So today, we're going to be in Isaiah 35. And as we get there, Isaiah is this prophet in the Old Testament. He's one of the major prophets. And he said a whole lot of things to Israel. And in the Old Testament, this is God's relation to Israel before Jesus came. And so what we need to remember when we're reading this is that they did not know Jesus because they didn't have him. And so the implications of those words are so different. And let's keep that in mind as we read Isaiah 35, starting in verse 1. It says, even the wilderness and desert will be glad in those days. The wasteland will rejoice and blossom with spring crocuses. Those are beautiful flowers. Yes, there will be an abundance of flowers and singing and joy. The deserts will become as green as the mountains of Lebanon, as lovely as Mount Carmel or the plain of Sharon. There, will, there the Lord will display his glory, the splendor of our God. With this news, strengthen those who have tired hands and encourage those who have weak knees. We're going to stop there for a second. So there at the end in verse 3, it starts with this phrase, with this news. Now, when I hear that phrase with this news, because, 
because of when we live in today, I hear news, I hear Bible, and I automatically think Jesus, right? Because we call him the good news. The gospel is good news. Jesus was good news. They didn't have Jesus yet. And so when I see that phrase with this news, I'm like, with what news? What, what is Isaiah talking about here? What is this word that God is communicating when he says, with this news? And so when you go back to verse 2 there, it says, The deserts will become as green as the mountains of Lebanon, as lovely as Mount Carmel or the plain of Sharon. Now, I don't know about you, but i never seen these places. And when I was reading this text this week, I couldn't get on a plane and go see these places. So I went to Google. <laughs> Google knows everything, right? Um, so I went to Google, and can we get the first picture of the mountains of Lebanon? This is the mountains of Lebanon. That doesn't look anything like a desert. That looks nothing like a desert. In verse 2, it says, the deserts will become as green as the mountains of Lebanon. That's amazing. Have you ever seen a desert? It's just sand. There's nothing there. Camels are like the only animal that can survive because they don't need water. You ever seen the movie Aladdin? Right, the genie has to like pop some water up. That's the only way that him and Aladdin can survive when he's turning into Prince Ali. The desert has nothing. And this word says that the desert will become as green as that. That's amazing. Go to Mount Carmel. That's gorgeous, right? Do you know what has to happen for that to form? So in order for that to form, all of the sand and everything else has to be compacted together and it has to go through this crazy metamorphosis where it becomes rock and then water has to trickle through. Water has to go through. That's how the Grand Canyon was made. That's how these amazing things get put into a mountain and that's how you get all those rock formations. It's water. A desert is going to become that. That's amazing. Let's go to the next one, the Plains of Sharon. That's a coastline. That's a coastline filled with flowers. It says the deserts are going to become the plains of Sharon. That's crazy. So all of this sand and this whole, this whole desert area. So the Israelites had wandered through the desert for 40 years. They knew what it was like. The only way they could survive was miracles of God. And Isaiah is looking at them and saying, hey, that, that desert that you wandered through, it's going to look like that. It's going to become a coastline. It's going to become filled with water. It's going to have flowers. It's going to be green everywhere. God's going to do such amazing things that those sand dunes are going to be glorious mountains. That's amazing. And then he says, with this news. Amen. With this news yeah. that God is going to do amazing things. Then I want you to strengthen those who have tired hands and encourage those who have weak knees. So knowing that God is going to do this amazing miracle, then I want you to strengthen those who have tired hands and encourage those who have weak knees. <clears throat> Point number one, God wants you to share the load. <coughs> Sorry. He wants you to share in each other's burdens. He wants you to share the load. What does it mean to strengthen someone who has tired hands? 
in light of knowing the miracles that God is going to do, what does it mean? It means give them a break. It means when they need help, help them. It means when their hands are tired from the work that they're doing, be their hands. What does it mean to be good news to someone who has weak knees? It means catch them up under their arms. Lift them up, be their legs, and give their legs a break. Come on, first lady. It means carry the load, carry each other's burdens. This means when you get a text that says, can you help me? You don't leave it on red and hope that somebody else steps up. It means that when, when you get a phone call and you can feel it in your gut that that person wants something from you, it means you don't send it to voicemail and call them back six hours later and hope that somebody else stepped in to help because you got the text and you got the call. You're the one who said, God, use me. And then he gives you an opportunity to be used and you're like, mm, nah. That's not how it works. That is not... That is not being restoration on the way. That is not, with this news, strengthen those with tired hands and help those with weak knees. That's called passing. You're the one who got asked. You're the one who got called. And we all have the same responsibility to be tangible restoration on the way here and now to this world. Let's keep it going forward. We're going to go back to Isaiah 35 and look at verse 4. Verse 4, it says, Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong and do not fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. We're just going to stay in verse 4 for a sec. This is so straightforward. This is so straightforward. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. It doesn't say when somebody is grieving, when somebody is in turmoil, when somebody feels defeated, it doesn't say you have to have experienced the same thing to be able to relate. It doesn't say, say to them, hey, let me pray on that and get back to you. How many times do we tell people we're going to pray for them and then we just forget about it until we see them next? It doesn't say, take this home, think on it. It doesn't say, go get a college degree and then you'll be useful. It says, say to those with fearful hearts, be strong and do not fear, for your God is coming to destroy your enemies. He is coming to save you. Just say it. Just take the truth that you know about God and say it to someone. That's it. This makes me think of Joshua. Joshua chapter 1. It's this transition from Moses to Joshua. And so Joshua is being called up as the new leader of Israel. He's the person who God is commissioning to take Israel into the promised land. And Joshua's nervous because that's a high responsibility, right? Let me just read this to you. God says to Joshua, Verse 6, be strong and courageous, for you are the one who will lead these people to possess all the land I swore to their ancestors that I would give them. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey the instructions Moses gave you. Do not deviate from them, 
turning to the right or left. Then you will be successful in everything you do. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate on it day and night so that you will be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. This is my command. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid or discouraged. For the Lord your God is going with you wherever you go. Three times in this text, God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous. That word courageous, just by definition, is to be undeterred by fear. In other words, do not fear. Exactly what we just read in Isaiah 35, verse 4. Be strong and do not be afraid. The only instructions that God gives to Joshua for leading all of Israel into the promised land is be strong and courageous, obey my word, and know the instructions. Uh Isaiah is reminding us of that passage right here. He says, hey, look at those who are scared. Look at those who are fearful and remind them of what I said to Joshua. Be strong and courageous for God is with you. Spoiler alert. Joshua led him to victory. Israel got the promised land. God did exactly what he said he would do because God is exactly who he promises that he is. And so we can take that exact same promise and speak that truth into the people who are hurting in our lives. We don't have to have experienced everything exactly as somebody else has to be empathetic. We don't have to have experienced everything that somebody has in order to just speak truth and be comforting. You don't have to have money to be kind. It costs zero dollars to be a kind person. When people are hurting, just look at them and say, hey, restoration is on the way. It does not take a thousand degrees to do that. You don't have to have read the Bible cover to cover to know that God is good. I'd encourage you to try, but you don't have to. You don't have to know every word. It's going to be hard to memorize everything, but we can all speak some sort of truth over the life of a person who is hurting. Because if that person came to you, if that person is sitting in front of you, if God brought someone into your life who is struggling, let me tell you, that's a divine appointment. You are the person that God placed them in front of, and you can speak truth. Amen. That's good stuff. Point number two is speak God's truth. Speak God's truth into the lives of others and speak God's truth over your own life. Sometimes what you're going through is just too much to think about sitting in front of someone else and bearing everything. Sometimes you're going through it so much and you haven't even had the chance to process everything and you're experiencing. And so sitting in front of somebody else and just laying it all out there and exposing everything is just too much. But listen, you can speak this truth over your own life. You can speak God's truth over your life even when you don't see it. You can speak God's love over your own life even when you're you're not feeling it. Sometimes being bold and being courageous is not about doing some huge act. Sometimes it's just about getting up in the morning. Sometimes it's just about persevering. Sometimes it's just not quitting. When we know God's truths, when we speak them over our own lives, we can get through, and then we can share them with others. 
Let's keep going. Go back to Isaiah 35. We're going to go to verse 10, and we're going to read all the way through to the end. I'm sorry, verse 5, and go all the way through to the end. Sorry, verse 5. That was my fault. Um, Starting in verse 5, it says, And when he comes, he will open the eyes of the blind and unplug the ears of the deaf. The lame will leap like a deer, and those who cannot speak will sing for joy. Springs will gush forth in the wilderness, and streams will water the wasteland. The parched ground will become a pool, and springs of water will satisfy the thirsty land. Marsh grass and reeds and rushes will flourish where desert jackals once lived. And a great road will go through that once deserted land. It will be named the Highway of Holiness. Evil-minded people will never travel on it. It will be only for those who walk in God's ways. Fools will never walk there. Lions will not lurk along its course, nor any other ferocious beast. There will be no other dangers. Only the redeemed will walk on it. Only those who have been ransomed by the Lord will return. They will enter Jerusalem singing crown with everlasting joy. Sorrow and mourning will disappear and they will be filled with joy and gladness. Isaiah is painting a picture of the future right here. He is speaking of a world that is filled with life, with no more death, with no more crying, with no more sorrow. He's speaking of a world where the wicked are judged and the righteous are crowned with with everlasting joy. He paints this picture of a completely restored world that looks like the garden in Genesis 1 and 2. He's speaking of a restoration that takes the world back to the way that it was created to be before the fall of man, before sin entered the world, before death, darkness, anything else. He's talking about a world completely restored, a world where the blind will see. That's amazing. We saw when Jesus was on earth. We saw him heal a blind man. We saw him speak of spiritual blindness when he, talked, when he talked to the Pharisees. And he said, hey, you think you see, but you don't. He talked about, or he, he helped a lame man walk. He looked at a man who had been sitting next to a, a lake that supposedly could bring complete and total healing. And he looked at him and he said, forget that lake, pick up your mat and walk. And he did it. Amen. Jesus. Jesus gave us restoration when he was here. Yes. But Isaiah isn't just talking about the life of Jesus. He's talking about a world completely and fully and wholly restored. The season that we are in, the season of Advent, this is about the tension of both the kingdom, and, the kingdom of God, which is here and now, and also the kingdom of God, which is not yet fully restored. We sit in this tension of waiting. I love, I love an Advent season to think about what it must have felt like for the world before Jesus came. Before Jesus came, even the day before he was born, the world had been sitting in 400 years of silence All of the things that we read about that happened with Israel and that happened with the prophets and everything else, all of that happened in a large period of time, but then God went silent for 400 years. He gave Israel over 
to what they wanted because they didn't want him. And so for 400 years, he was silent. And then all of the sudden, restoration was on the way. All of the sudden, it was here. And then Jesus fulfilled some of these prophecies from Isaiah. And then we know that this future glory is coming. But listen, we can't take this last section of Isaiah 35. We can't take it and hear it and think about all these amazing things on the way and not also take the first four verses. You see, when when Isaiah paints this picture of restoration on the way, he did it right after he gave instruction. See, point number three is to be active and confident in our seasons of waiting. Be active and confident in your seasons of waiting. Yes, this last section of Isaiah, he talks about this waiting and he talks about this hope and he talks about this glory that is coming. But what he's not saying is, hey, sit on your hands and wait for it. He said, share the load. He said, speak God's truth and do that with the knowledge of everything that you're doing it for. Wait confidently and know that God is coming through. Hey, I just reminded you of this passage in Joshua where I said, be bold and be courageous because God is going with you wherever you go. So do everything in your waiting in the confidence of knowing that. So I told you, I told you when we started today, <laughs> what a rough kids teacher I am. I'm not, I am nothing special. I am really not great at communicating these truths to kids. But I'm given everything I need to make the best possible use of that time. I'm given outlines. I'm given instructions. I'm given a lesson. I'm given a craft. I'm given a snack, even when I forget to give it to them. I'm given everything. And so what would you do, what would you do if the kids came walking back in right now and you said, hey, what'd you do in class today? And they were like, nothing. We just sat and waited. We, we just sat and waited until we were told the time came to go back. What would you do if then you asked them, well, did you... Did you have a lesson plan? And they're like, well, we skimmed it, but we felt like it was for somebody else to do. So they're like, well, did your, did your teacher ask you to help? Did your teacher ask you to do something? And they're like, eh, I did. They did ask that. But I figured somebody else would get up and help. I didn't think I had to do that. I just waited. I just sat in my chair. Well, did you, did you listen? Well, I heard words, but like, I don't know. It didn't really catch my attention. It didn't really hit the way I thought it would today. So I just sat. Well, well but wait, did your, did, your teacher, did your teacher give you guys things to do? Did your teacher pass out materials? Well, they did. Well, where are they? I left them on the table. I didn't really like them. It wasn't really the color I liked. It wasn't my preference, so I just sat and waited. 
What would you do if your kids did that? I tell you what I would do, I'd ground mine. Mine would be in so much trouble. If they came in and I said, my teacher asked me for help and I didn't do anything. I hope you like your room. How ridiculous does that sound when we think of it like that? So why do we do that to God? If Jesus came back right now, if the second coming was right now, the gates are right here. And you got to stand before God and be accountable for everything. And he says, what did you do with your time? And you say, well, I just waited. Well, were you given instruction? Well, yeah, I mean, we do live in 2019 where, like, I can get the Bible on my phone, but Twitter's more interesting. Well, were you, were, did anybody try and help you learn it? Well, I mean, I went to church, but, like, that woman was up there, and mm, I kind of like, I kind of like Corey better. Well, that's fine, but you better learn something because we're accountable. We're accountable to what we do with our time. So when God, when God looks at you and he says, did you help? Did you help people while you were there? Well, well, I thought about it, but like, I mean, they were in like that kind of situation and I don't know what they did to get themselves in that kind of situation. And like, I don't really know how to like interact with that. And like, mm, I'm a germaphobe. And so like, oh, I didn't want them to touch my hand. And like, oh, you know, my, the way my bank account's set up. And but like, no, it costs $0 to be encouraging. It costs you nothing to pick somebody up. It costs you nothing to put your arm around them and to lift them up off their tired knees. It costs you nothing to speak the truth of God that you should be reading. Because you either got a Bible or an app, or at least you got access to the internet, BibleGateway.com. You can get the whole thing. It costs nothing. It costs nothing. We have to be active and confident and are waiting because we are accountable for what we do with our time. And when Isaiah gives us that encouragement of what is to come, it comes immediately after instruction to do something. And so do you believe? Do you believe that restoration is on the way? Amen. Do you believe that those pictures, those pictures of a, of a beautiful green earth, of gorgeous mountains, of deserts that are turned into coastlines. Do you believe that that's coming? And with that news, will you, will you be active and share that in someone else's life, in our community, in our city, in our world? Are you going to do that? See, God doesn't tell you that your first run out, you got to be the best. He just says that you need to be willing, that you need to receive the invitation that's put before you. And then he will equip you. He'll put people in your life who are going to walk you through what it looks like to do it well. He'll give you everything that you need along the way. But you got to say yes to the invitation and you got to say yes to those people. 
Because the one thing that God never, ever, ever says is for you to do it alone. Restoration is on the way. And while we wait for it, let's share in the load. Let's speak God's truth. And let's wait actively and confidently.